There's nothing like the Christmas season, the Christmas holiday that's been mentioned in his welcome. We want to make sure that in this service each week we take time to push back against the busyness and the chaos and to make sure that we reflect on and look forward to what's important. So this morning, the Torn family is lighting the first candle, the Advent season here in 1111, and our focus today is the word hope. I've always loved that word hope. And this time of the year, it's so powerful. It, it's a, the hope that for generations was prophesied and promised about. It's the hope that was born on Christmas Day. And for believers, it's the hope that we have in him, in Jesus Christ, in this life. But what do you do when you have to stand on top of that word hope? What do you do when the bottom of your life falls out, when sickness comes, when tragedy strikes, when difficult times come your way, what do we do? I wanna share with you a scripture really quick. If you'll open your Bibles up with me, look at Matthew chapter eight. Matthew chapter eight, verses 23 through 27. Where do we get this idea, this promise of hope from, I'll read it to you quickly, it says this, verse 23, when Jesus, when he got in the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so much so that the boat was being covered with waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and they woke him saying, save us, Lord. We are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up, he rebuked the winds and the sea. It became perfectly calm. Verse 27. The men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? What do we do? when the storms in life come. I want you to watch this video. I think eyes tell you a lot about a person. And when I looked into her eyes and she spoke to me, I knew it was genuine, I knew it was real. And looking in those eyes, it was like, she's the one for sure. and I now have eight children. We have six girls and we have two boys and family time is good time. Kids have gotten up. We typically roll around here around 6 a.m. And kids have gotten up, everybody's getting rolling and moving. Everybody has a job, everybody has a partner with the eight kids. They all take care of that partner. Lunchtime came around and Marissa and I still, you know, try to date at lunchtime. I called her several times. I texted her several times, uh, like, hey, 
you know, what's what's up for lunch? One of my daughters had sent me a text saying, hey, dad, I see on the group text, the family text that you're trying to text mom. Hey, her phone's not been acting right is what she told me. And I was like, okay, so maybe that's the reason mom hadn't responded back. About as the time the kids start getting home. So around here, um, all of the kids have the Life 360, you know, so our phones will start dinging and you'll start seeing kids show up to the house. And I was recognizing kids were showing up. I was teasing on the text group, just laughing about mom's phone and, you know, with the kids. Well, Marissa was in all those texts with it being the family text group. So she was getting all of those texts. Well, as the kids started getting home, I got this phone call from Emma. Uh, she's my senior uh, in high school. And Emma called me and she said, Dad, something's wrong with mom. She's on the ground in the bathroom. Dad, she's not talking. Dad, she's mumbling. Dad, she's only grunting. She's just laying on the floor in the bathroom. Okay, tell me exactly what happened. Yeah, uh, don't know. My kids just got home from school. It looked like my wife was getting into the shower and she fell and hit her head, but she's just sitting here, laying here on the ground. No, okay. she got a towel over her, but look, she's just shaking. Her hands and feet are purple. Are you with her now? Yes, I'm with it right now. I can hear I can hear the ambulance, so they're close. They're fixing to pull into your subdivision. Okay, yes, sir. And I walked in the bedroom and I turned to the bathroom and there was Marissa just laying on the floor just put my hands on her. I can just remember just praying, just quick short prayers. About that time, fire trucks, ambulances, everything showed up. Emma and Ellie kept popping in the bathroom and I said, hey, just do what you need to do. Just go breathe. And they sat on the bed in the bedroom. I was very scared because I didn't know what would entail if my mom didn't come back. It was like a, such a shock, like, oh my gosh, like, my mom, like this happened to my mom. When I heard the sirens coming down the street and the ambulance, I knew that something was really wrong. And then when they came out with my mom on the stretcher, it just made me scared and didn't know what was gonna happen next. I knew at that point in time that the time I saw my mom on the bathroom floor was, might be the last time I'd ever got to see her and I wouldn't have been able to say goodbye and uh, her phone, her phone that we had all been calling and texting was right there, looked like she was trying to go for the phone. The phone that we've been texting back and forth, the phone we've been calling was just buzzing the whole time, it was still buzzing, even, even as I was in there. People kept trying to make this private, I didn't want it private. Uh, people kept telling me, saying, hey, we don't wanna get this word out. I said, get it out to everyone you possibly can. I don't care who gets this. No matter what, get it out everywhere, all over Facebook, all over texting, get as many people praying. But. In doing so, Ellie got the text at school. All of a sudden, I started getting like all these texts that was like, I'm praying for you, like I'm so sorry, like I'm here for you if you want to talk to me. And I was just started panicking because I had no idea what was happening. And then someone from the church like called me and was like, um, don't panic, but your mom is being rushed to the hospital. And it was really scary because I was like, well, I never even got to say goodbye. So like, what if it was like her last time? My son, Mac, he came in the bathroom, looked at me, saw I looked at him. Marissa's laying on the floor. I'm on a knee just with my hands on her. EMTs are just going at it. And my son, Mac, just puts his hand on me. He's sitting on the bathtub and he, he just looked at my eyes and I looked at his eyes and he just, 
He just had such a calmness about him, just a peace about him. And the funny thing is that was one of the short prayers was, God, just give peace, give calmness here, give comfort here. When we found her, like it was obvious she'd been down for a long time, stroke, time is of the essence, so it was definitely a critical call. She was definitely in a bad situation, and we needed to get her transported immediately. And the last time and anybody had actually spoken to her or heard her, heard a text message from her had been a few hours, so that was another reason concern. to be concerned. They walked me back in the back, and that's where I entered in trauma room one. Never forget it, trauma room one. I'm seeing your wife on on that hospital bed when I walked in that room. I just remember for the first time ever, normally those eyes I talked about earlier, I just remember there was a point where she just like flopped over and her head just flopped over and she just looked at me and she knew I was scared. The doctors were all pretty much in a panic. Uh, quickly, the doctor came over to me and says, I need to talk to you. Pulled me out of the room, took me to another room. About five TVs came in on wheels. They had doctors from Woodlands, Memorial City, uh, downtown medical center, all neurosurgeons, all asking me questions about Marissa, all trying to determine uh, what needed to happen. They clearly communicated to me that she was having a stroke and it was no small stroke. We use a scale, it's called the NIH stroke scale, and we give points. Zero would be a normal person. Anything 10 or above is a very large stroke and she was a 14. The doctor took me aside when he walked out, when the TVs went away and he said, you need to go have some time with your wife. I walked back into that room Marissa's not talking. They all backed away from the bed and said, you can have a moment. I went to the bed. I put my hands on her, told her I loved her. And then I just prayed with her real quick. And one of the NICU nurses of Marissa's team came over. She just put her hand on me. She said, it's going to be okay. God's got this. In this life or the next life, God's got this. Your wife will be healed one way or the other. That it was almost like God was speaking through her to encourage me. I know that sounds weird and strange, but I just remember the voice coming out of her. About that time, the, the building began to shake. Life flight was coming to land. They're life flighting Marissa to the med center. Her case was incredibly critical. I remember reading her CT results and we had a grim outlook, um, but we do the best that we can. And I knew that they would too when she got here. Myself and the stroke team, we met her in our ER. And when I first saw her, she'd actually vomited at the other hospital, needed to be intubated. So she was on the ventilator. She, uh, she had the tube down her throat. And it was more after getting the CAT scans and the images that it became really clear that she had a really large blood clot that was blocking the blood flow to one area of her brain and that this needed to be treated emergently. Well, what she had was severe symptoms. So at the time, she was not able to understand. 
When we asked her to close her eyes or hold up her arm, she couldn't understand that. She was also nearly paralyzed on the right side of her body. And this all makes sense because the location of her stroke was on the left side of her brain. The left side is where almost everyone has their language. So you can imagine a situation where you're, you're paralyzed on one side. Most people are right-handed, so it's the dominant hand that they do everything with. And you're unable to speak or understand. You can imagine how severe of a stroke that could be. I can remember stopping and sitting on the curb, laying back on the curb on the grass, just looking up the stars, being like, God, you've got my full attention. What? What? God, I know you're a God of miracles. I, I'm praying for a miracle. I'll be a better man of God. I'll be a better dad. If I'm being completely honest, at that moment, I was like, God, where are you? Where are you? Can you hear me? Answer. Can you hear me? I remember in 1994, my mom passed away from breast cancer. At the same age, that's when my mom passed away from my dad. And I grew up in a family of seven. My mom passed away at the same age Marissa was. At 44 years of age, she passed away and she was gone. I saw that. I saw what my dad went through. I, I, I heard my dad audibly crying in his room, missing his wife. I remember as strong and as tough as my dad. And I told God, I didn't want that again. I've seen that. I knew that. Though I knew God had a purpose and a reason, I didn't want that for my kids. I, I didn't want my, my young ones. I want Maddox just to remember mom tickling him. So those are the actual prayers that I'm praying for. God, you know what happened. I know, I've seen this before happen, played out before with my dad when, when you took her home for cancer and I don't want that to happen again. I know you got a bigger plan and I know you got a better plan. When I'm begging you, I am begging you. The enemy just seemed to be really pushing me that my daughters were gonna be really wounded and hurt by this. Walking in on their mom, I was ex expecting the worst. And as I walk in the front door, there's all the family in the room. My dad, there's other church staff that are there, the, the kids, their school teachers. I mean, there's just, there's just a groups of people that are here that are just supporting and loving on the family. And probably the thing that brought me the most joy I saw my kids encouraging other people, praying with them. <laughs> Though I had people hugging me and I had people telling me this, my laser focus was to find their eyes. And I saw joy. I saw strength. I saw courage. I saw things in their eyes that I probably wasn't seeing in my eyes at the moment. Phone call comes. It's the neuro upstairs. Mr. Miller, you're not gonna believe this. There are screams of joy upstairs right now. The clot's been busted. 
And, you know, I'm trying to rationalize, what, who is this? This is the doctor, this is the doctor. Mr. Miller, the, the surgery was successful. The surgery was successful. He said, she's showing movement already. That side that was numb, her hands, her arms, her face is going back into shape. She's trying to talk. He said, Mr. Miller, did you hear me? She is trying to talk. He said, I want you to tell me something if it's true. He said, we heard that your wife had the telephone in the bathroom. And that thing was constantly going off. He said, the doctors down here believe what kept your wife alive that whole time was the phone calls and the texts that kept going under normal circumstances. As long as she was on the floor, she should not have made it. He said, this was a miracle. What happened with your wife was a miracle. Recovery after stroke usually takes some time, depending upon how big the stroke is. In the majority of people, we see most of the recovery in the first three months. In her case, what I think was really remarkable is that the, that evening or even the next morning, she had started to communicate. Uh, it was remarkable how she went from 24 hours to 48 hours, her ability to understand and then following commands. Even at 24 hours, she was telling me that she's got eight kids, which I was extremely surprised considering how severe it was when she first came in. The next morning when I woke up, phone rang, doctor called. Mr. Miller, this is going to be a tough road. She's going to need you. Your wife's going to need you. Your kids are going to need you. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. If you want to beat me to be on this team, I need to know that you're 100% bought in. Are you 100% bought in on the recovery of your wife? Yes, sir. Uh, he said, Mr. Miller, your wife wants to talk to you. Are you ready to talk to her? And I said, she's ready to talk to me? He said, yes, sir. He said, that nurse or nurses by your wife's bedside never got a break. She kept him up all night long. Her voice was all broken up. I had no idea what she was trying to say. She was trying to communicate as best as she possibly could. And I'm thinking worst case scenario, okay, she's back, but she's not gonna be back like she was before. And the doctor told me when, before she called that she may wanna talk to one of the kids. And it's not what you want, Matt, it's what she wants. And Ellie, who had been at soccer practice and wasn't able to be here through all that. And she kind of had a little void there. Everyone else got to at least be here and see her and pray on that. And she had a little void. We wanted her to talk first. And I gave the phone to Ellie. I said, Ellie, it's mom. And same thing. Marissa started talking. It wasn't the same. And Ellie just lost it. I took the phone and I started talking to Marissa and I was like, hey babe, I'm, she's okay. Uh, she's like, you know, I could tell Marissa couldn't really co communicate. And I was like, oh, Ellie's okay, she's this and that. And next thing I see, another phone call coming to the other line. Sure enough, the doctor. I clicked over and he goes, are you lying? Is Ellie okay? Because it sounds like you took the phone out of her hand and now you're telling your wife something that's not true. Matt, I'm gonna be as clear as I can be. Your wife needs honesty, your kids need honesty. Your wife needs to deal with the emotions. She needs to hear your tears, which by the way, Matt, I haven't heard you share any emotion with her yet. Matt, she needs to hear your fears. She needs to hear that you're scared. She needs to hear that you love her. 
and she needs to hear your emotion. Stop hiding that from her. You're not protecting her. And matter of fact, you're preventing her from healing. Gave the phone back to Ellie. Ellie cried and stumbled through her words and Marissa and her talked. Emma talked to her. Alyssa. You go through the Miller family, it's a good long conversation. And I said to her, I said, I said, Marissa, I love you, but I'm scared. And I could tell she was trying to cry, but I couldn't tell what was going on. I was like, Marissa, are you there? And I said, I said, if you can hear me. And I just began to pour my heart out to her. And we, neither one of us wanted to break away. And uh, for that moment, I'll never forget it. She gets off the elevator and she just comes down and I leaned over my brother and I said, hey, I guess you're my best man. And he goes, what are you talking about? I was like, here she comes, man. <laughs> and he's like, look at your bride, look at your bride. believe that it was a miracle that I'm here today and not only here today but here with with little to no effect from my stroke. I think it's definitely made me a better mom and a better wife and I I don't want to take anything for granted. Time with my kids, time with my husband, time with my family, just spending time with the Lord, thanking him, um, thanking him for how he orchestrated the whole thing, how people were put where they needed to be at the right time. All the doctors said like she was supposed to die, and she did it, and she recovered in f five days. It was overwhelming, but it was an overwhelming sense of peace and answered prayer, and she was a walking miracle. I think what I learned through this experience was not just to say the words I love you, but why I love you. And I think that was the vulnerable thing for me where I got really good at and sincere at looking her in the eyes and saying, hey, Maris, babe, I love you. But I think the thing that she always longs for back is why. And because wasn't good enough. The thank you and I love you changed for the Lord too. You know, it's easy for me to say thank you in passing or I love you in passing or I love the Lord. But the, <laughs> that voice of right inside of me, which I know is the Holy Spirit, asked the same question, why do you love me? How do you love me? And without a doubt, he deserves that. It's changed our parenting too. My 17-year-old daughter and my six-year-old son, they also need to know why dad and mom love them. For my girls to hear me say, hey, you were strong when I was weak. Dad's known as being the strong one. Dad's known as being the one that fixes things or lifts things or opens cans and jars. But for me to go back to my kids and say, thank you for being strong, that grew us. They led during a time that I was really just kind of numb. There's no doubt the faith was challenged. And I, I, I think it was challenged in all the right ways. The bottom line is it's stronger. 
And it's not just stronger for me, it's stronger to be able to share with others. There's a real excitement to share what he's done. I don't think we'd want to change it. I, I, I think initially we would say we wish it never would have happened. I think we'll be thankful that it did happen. Marissa and I are closer. Our kids are closer. In my mind, he has made the gift just even better, and only God can do that.